Today we're going to share in one of my favorite chapters of all the Bible, Romans 12. I commend it to you. This is one of those life verses, life chapters of the Bible that you could read every day and still begin to live into it. Uh, There's just so much there. So let's begin together uh, learning how to love one another. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, we are in our second week of our relationship boot camp. Um, We do this each and every February. Um, And the reason we do this is because we know that relationships, we talked about this last week, relationships bring some of the greatest joys of our life and also some of the greatest pain in our life. Isn't that true? As you come into a good and strong relationship, um, whether that's a new friendship or a coworker or a spouse, it's some of the greatest, the very greatest pieces of life. But when it goes south on us, it is, it is very difficult, very difficult. So I, I wanted to remind you um, of the relationship series. Of course, it can be for your spouse, but it could also be for any relationship that's important to you. But just as a reminder why we do this, um, I got this letter anonymously from someone a few years ago, uh, and they write this. Pastor Mark, a member of our church, I hope this letter finds you well. I would like to request or suggest a Sunday school class that focuses on marriage and growing closer to each other with God. Check. Today, 9.15, you'd have to leave right now. Uh, It's in the North Portable. It's called uh, Love to Stay, um, and it runs through March 10th. So if you are interested in that, just know that we have that at this hour. You can come uh, worship at the next hour. And then this person writes, We have been married in the ballpark of two decades We are past the new love, buying a home, the joys of new life, and fun of toddlers. I had to pause there for a moment. I think their experience of toddlers was different than mine. (laughs) Then they write, we now seem to just be going through the motions of being married. I desire a closer, more intimate relationship with my spouse as I feel God intends I want a marriage that honors God and teaches my kids what a healthy, loving marriage lived intentionally looks like. Although there are many great things about my spouse and our marriage, I find we are disconnected. Disconnected. I want more for our marriage. It goes on. Now, I think in any given season, any person in this room who's been married very long at all could write that letter. Isn't that true? That sometimes you're close and sometimes you just feel disconnected. And so I want us to remember from last week that it all starts with Jesus. Friends, the reason we, if we're going to have any hope at all, it's that we understand first that we have bestowed worth as the beloved of God. We have worth because God says so, because God makes you, calls you good, says you're priceless, would actually die for you and everyone else from the cross and say, you're mine. You have bestowed worth. Will you read this with me? Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? But how do you do it? How, how do you actually put feet to that? How do you live into that? If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out, and we're going to do our best to, to begin this together today. First of all, we must admit that it's more important to become the right person than to, say it with me, find the right person. 
I, I love the way Andy Stanley puts it. He says, um, are you the person you're looking for is looking for? Right? I mean, you think about all the uh, attributes that you would love in a spouse. You know, you want them to have a good job, perhaps, or some insurance, or uh, to be hardworking or faithful. And then, and then I always ask the person, well, do you have a job? Do you go? Are you faithful? I mean, the very things that you want in somebody else, they're probably looking for those things too. And so you can actually make a difference. If you're single, one of the most important things you can do is to get to work to become the sort of person that you're looking for is looking for. Right? And, and, and you, I mean, Chantel knows this about me. Um, I think Jerry Maguire may be the worst movie ever to have been written ever. When she goes, you complete me. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> no, he doesn't. No mortal completes you. It's not in our power. Only God completes us. So here's some things. Um, normally, we, we really work hard here to, to work straight through the Bible. But sometimes, um, there's good research that, that all truth is God's truth. Amen? Right? Because Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we find truth, it points us back to Jesus. So I want you to know some truth that researchers have found that have spent their life's work looking at relationships. The only person you can change is who? You. And that's hard. It's, it's not easy, and it takes a long time. It takes intentionality. It takes training, right? So um, I love, again, I love the way Andy Stanley says it. He says, fix your pet, not your partner. Right? We need to fix our pets, but you're not going to fix your partner. Right? Anybody who has uh, kids dating age uh, knows that when they start to date someone that grandma doesn't like and mom doesn't like and Aunt Sally doesn't like and brother doesn't like, we're like, oh, you need to get away from that because you are not fixing that. Isn't that true? And so it's, it's matter, just a, a matter of pain. You need a community around you to help you see the things that you don't see. And you're not going to be able to fix your partner. You just can't. So here's, here's something that is true for every relationship, not just uh, romantic relationships, your prim- primary relationship. Here's some things that I want to invite us as a community to work on. I would like for us to try to limit our use of you always. Or even for yourself, even I always. Because it's not true. Right? And you come home and you're frustrated about the trash. That's our, that's our thing. We've got sometimes four people living uh, in our um, house. And we refuse to buy a bigger trash can. I don't know why. We just refuse to. We'd prefer to argue with one another about why it's not taken out. But that's our own thing. And, and there's, this, there's this part of me that wants to say to all the world, you always forget to take out the trash when it's full. Which is not true, right? Um, or like, I always take out the trash. That's not true. Um, someone might take out the trash 87.6% of the time, which feels like always, but it's not always, is it? It's inaccurate, and, and it pulls away um, from the truth. You never is also inaccurate, right? So we want to limit. I really would like to say never use always and always never say never, but I can't say that because we're trying to limit these things, Right? So whenever we find ourselves saying, well, you always or you never or you should, that's a tough one. You should. I was in um, a, a therapy group one time, and this guy said in group, and I couldn't believe he said it out loud, and, and I didn't say this in church, so forget it after I say it. But I thought it was really good. He goes, you know, I just decided that God loves me so much that I'm never going to should on myself again. I thought, hmm, you shouldn't should on people. Right? Because there's shame. It's laden with shame and guilt. 
It's not helpful. Either you will or you won't. It's not about should. And you need to is not much better. Have you, have, you ever, have you ever thought about that? You know, you're like in a relationship or, or somebody comes in or you're at work and, and the first thing somebody says, well, you need to. And, and you think, oh, well, thank you so much. I, I never saw that. No, of course not. Right? These things, each of these phrases hurt relationships, no matter what kind of relationship you're in. And so I want you to be thoughtful um, about the words that we use with one another. Now, here's, here's the thing that's so important with primary relationships or relationships you want to last. And that is you're a team. Because when one party wins and one party loses, say it with me, the relationship loses. The relationship loses. Right? Now, now this is tough. Because I grew up in a home where it was more important to be right than kind. Maybe you've been in that home too from time to time. You find yourselves willing to really um, say almost anything to prove your point or to make it um, so. And I would, I would just want you to step back from that and say, isn't your relationship with your spouse or your parents or your sister or your brother more important than something you can Google? I mean, really. And by the way, we should all be very grateful for Google because you know, until, until then, we would just say all sorts of outlandish things trying to prove our point. And now we're just like, well, hold on a minute. I'm Googling that, right? So, so say this with me. When one party wins and one party loses, the relationship loses. Right? Now, you can be right every time or you can stay married. Which do you prefer? So here's the thing. A different way of saying this is that couples flourish when they sense they are creating something together. One of the great joys of my life is being able to work alongside Chantel and us focusing on, on a project and, and doing that together. And that yesterday we spent the, the full day training um, up in Stillwater, about 200 of our colleagues, uh, around hospitality and offering people Christ and the purpose of the United Methodist Church and engaging in mission. And it was so much fun to prepare and, and to study and to present and to watch her do her thing and just have her shine. And people go, wow, she's great. I'm like, I know. It's awesome. And so when you have a, something you can do together that you both want to do, that's great. That's different than every idea I have on a Saturday for the garage. Right? That's a different thing. She doesn't care the same way about the garage the way I do. Amen, she says. <laughs> when I was in seminary, um, I took nine hours of pastoral counseling. That's not enough 20-something years ago. Um, that's why we refer most often. Um, but one of the books that really helped me, one of the authors, uh, is Dr. John Gottman, Ph.D. If you haven't ever read his material, I recommend it to you. He's written lots and lots of books. His whole life's work has been on helping people in their relationships. And he basically, in his life's work, has found that there are four really serious threats to lasting relationships. Um, and so I want to recommend them to you. I also recommend his work. You can go online and, and take all kinds of different surveys and things that might be very helpful to you. But the first thing he says that erodes a relationship and will kill it if it's not checked is criticism. Will you all say criticism with me? Criticism. Okay. Now, that's not checking your brain at the door, but there are certain ways to, to be in relationship with people. Criticism is verbally attacking personality or character, someone's character. And it doesn't help you at all. 
right? So if you're in a disagreement um, or somebody does something uh, that you don't agree with, you don't attack their character. You're looking at the behavior. Do you see the difference? Like when you did that on Tuesday at 1 o'clock, that hurt my feelings, which is different than you're an idiot. Does that feel different to you? Yes, it feels different to you. Right. So we need to be particular about how we express our needs and what we need from one another. Uh, The other one um, that is real easy to fall into these days, um, particularly with uh, colleagues or other folks, um, is contempt. Right? There's a sense of disrespect or ridicule. You know, somebody gets up to, to speak, um, you know, in the, in the staff meeting or whatever, and the other kind of look over like, oh, my gosh, not again. Right? That erodes the relationship, um, not only between uh, the person that's getting dogged, but also between one another because, like, oh, did they do that to me when I talk? Right? That's uh, treating someone as lesser than. One of the things that I hope that over the 20 years that we've been doing this now is that we want you, when you come to Acts 2, we want you to leave better than when you got here. But we also want you to be reminded that you never leave better than anybody else who was here or chose not to come. You see the difference? We want to get better, but not better than, because that leads to contempt and a breakdown of relationship. So, uh, the third is my favorite. I, I learned this in about second grade. Defensiveness. If you know it, say it with me. I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. Right? Have you ever had that, that thing where you're trying to really tell your, your partner, your friend, your child, look, I really need this from you. And they're, they're like, well, if you weren't so OCD, you, it wouldn't matter. Right? Now, where does that get the relationship? Nowhere. Nowhere. We have to own our own stuff, and we have to allow others to own their stuff. When we're defensive, it gets the relationship nowhere. Now, again, you have to decide, are you more important um, yourself, or are you looking out for the relationship? Sometimes you can do both, but sometimes you have to choose. So when, you, when you're in a relationship, I want you to think about, in those encounters, is this best for the relationship? And then finally, uh, this is, guys, if you're in the room, listen up, uh, because we're really good at this. Stonewalling, right? So you just withdraw from the relationship to avoid conflict. Um, About 85% of men, this is our go-to move, right? Um, You come home or um, something's going on in the family system, and the children are doing this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Your your spouse, your wife is is engaged, and, um, and what do you do? Go to the garage, right? Or, or you go to do yard work, or you get the paper. My dad used to use the paper king, right? Like nothing happens outside this paper, right? Um, or I know this is not true in your home, but for me, it's really hard for me not to just find something really interesting on my phone and just disappear into my phone. Does this make sense? But when that happens, you're just leaving the pain out there. You're leaving the problems out there. Now, Here's the thing that most guys will say to me when we, when we talk about this, and, th- and this is true. Men are much more likely, uh, to, for what therapists will say, to be flooded. Like, our heart rates go up. We get angry. We get upset. And we don't want to say something we'll regret. We don't want to huff over our kids or our spouse, and it feels dangerous to us. And so we need to get away because we don't want to hurt people. Does this make sense? 
Now, here's the thing. It's okay for you to say. So, same scenario, two different ways to do it. There's chaos going on. You get up and leave. That feels really hurtful and dangerous to your family. Chaos going on. You can say this. This is stressing me out. I'm going to be back in 10 minutes because I've got to cool down. I'll see you in 10 minutes. We're going to talk about this, but I, I, I need a moment. And then you go. See the difference? You're connecting. You're making sure they understand you care about them, but you need a moment. And you do. And you do. I do. Right? You, you have to kind of go and then you re-engage. But the thing is, you have to let people know that you care and that you're going to re-engage. That there is a moment where the conversation will be had. So these are Gottman's four horsemen. Okay? Now, um, this may seem... Um, so so this, is the, this is sort of the... Uh, what do you call it? The snapshot, right? The summary. So if, instead of criticism, if, if you've got to have a hard conversation... Um, let them know the other things you appreciate about them. I, don't lie. But you're like, look, I really do appreciate this, 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 and this. But it's this one piece in our relationship that's driving me crazy. And I really like to talk to you about that. Which is very different than you always or you never or don't be an idiot. Right? So when it comes to defensiveness, we simply need to take responsibility. Right? Somebody says, well, you know, uh, you were late again tonight. Yep, I was. I said I would be home here. I came home there. I'm sorry. Oh, now there's a big one. There are six words you need for, to maintain any relationship. The first three are, I am sorry. Say those with me. I am sorry. And the next three that must follow are, I know you are. No. Not, that does not work. The next three are what? I forgive you. Right? Now, you need to make sure that you don't just let it sit there. You need to be able to say, I forgive you. If you want your relationship to go forward, you need to be able to say, same with me, I am sorry and I forgive you. Jesus does that very well. He models that for us and tells us about that. So the next one is contempt. We need to describe our own feelings and needs, not describing your partners. And then stonewalling. We, we really do need to sort of know what's going on within us and then re-engage when we can. Uh, I want to use me, Phil and Tina uh, as an example they're a couple, they're in their 30s, they seem to have it all, solid jobs, two beautiful kids, lots of good friends. And they love each other. Don't, don't get me wrong, they do, they love each other. Trouble is, they haven't had sex in six months. Six months. And so seated on a small sofa in a therapist's office, the couple describes how the problem started. They're just not connected. Tina's company was going through this big reorganization. And every day she'd come home exhausted. And and Tina says, yeah, it was a real drag. I was spending all day in in these long, tense meetings, and I was trying to defend people's jobs. I mean, people's jobs were on the line. I was trying to do my best to keep them employed. And when I got home, I couldn't shake the stress. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I felt so anxious. And then she said this, Phil tried to be nice, but... And Phil said, well, I wanted to help her, to tell her it's going to be okay. But I couldn't do anything right. She was so stressed out. And it wasn't like we had this huge catastrophic breakdown or anything. It was, it was more about the little stuff, just these tiny little things. I'd kiss her on the back of her neck uh, when we were headed to bed and, you know, things that used to get her attention. But now I was getting nothing in return. Zip. It, it definitely threw me off balance. And Tina says, and I felt like if I didn't get all hot and bothered the minute he touched me, he was going to be wounded or something. It just made me so tense at work. And at home. And Phil got to the point. He said she has all these people who really need her at work. They're leaning on her. 
And then she comes home to this guy who's feeling insecure, who's whining about his needs. It was such a turnoff for her. And then John Gottman writes this. He says, so, to preserve his pride, Phil quit trying. Maybe you've been there. Just quit trying. He just couldn't take the rejection. And that's what he said. He said, I got tired of the rejection. I don't know how long we can go on like this, really. I mean, we love each other, but it's tough. It's tough to keep putting yourself out there, only to be shut down all the time. Sure, I love her, but sometimes I'm afraid we're not going to make it. Now, friends, to make it, we must continue to ask. We have to continue to ask. We have to make what's known as an emotional bid. Will you say that with me? Emotional bid. And friends, if you are fortunate enough to receive one of these, if you are fortunate enough to receive a bid, respond. Oh my goodness, please, respond. Because it's hard. You need to know that whoever is caring for you and is trying to connect with you, I mean, they're putting themselves out there, right? And so you need to respond in some way, in some way. It may not be exactly like they want, but if you want the relationship to survive and to last and move forward, you've got to respond. So the Bible teaches this about love, all kinds of different kinds of love. Love is not a feeling. It is, say it with me, to will the good of the other person. That's what love is. That's what love really is. Real love is playing second fiddle. Have you all ever heard fiddle players play second fiddle? It's really cool uh, when you hear it, right? We want your love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil, from things that will blow you up. Hold on for dear life to good, the goodness of God, the goodness of friends. Good friends who love deeply practice playing second fiddle. Will you say that with me? Practice playing second fiddle. And you never know, something really cool might happen if you choose to do so. Put yourself second, lift up the other person in the relationship, and just see what happens. Um, You never know. Those aren't fiddles, I know. You might even be thunderstruck. <laughs> we won against the Rockets last night. Come on, you got to love that. Like 26 down and then you come back, thunderstruck. I had no idea how that clip was going to work, but I couldn't not use it. It was just too awesome. <laughs> Second fiddle, cello, thunderstruck. Okay, we're in Oklahoma. I had to do it. All right. So, but there's a the thing. You never know what's going to happen. You actually lift somebody else up and some really cool stuff can happen. So, in humility, in our relationships... We don't push. We don't push. And that, that's so important um, because in, in God's timing, all things work out. But you can't hurry him up. You can't hurry him up. You can't cut a butterfly out of a cocoon. Right? It doesn't work in God's time. So don't push your partner. 
Let God do God's work. Pray for them. Bless them. Care for them. I learned this um, in a very difficult season for our church. Uh, Kathy Wallace, you'll see yourself here. Um, There you are with Chad, who's now an attorney in Texas. It's been a while. This is at Edmond North High School uh, back in 99-2000. There are boys, Chantel and I are in the middle there with John Mark and and Noah. And we were at Edmond North. And they were so gracious to let us in. Um, because Columbine had happened and they didn't think they were going to have any outside groups and they had told us no and then through a lot of prayer and a lot of prayer and a lot of prayer we wound up beginning to worship uh, in their cafeteria space and in their band room. And then they knew that they were going to have to remodel that. And so um, in the mornings we would gather and we would uh, get chairs and we would scoop out the potatoes from the lunch the the week before and uh, try to make it look like something. We're baptizing babies in the the middle of the cafeteria in the north. But they told us, they said, look, um, we're going to remodel all this. I mean, it's not, you're, you're fine, but we can't stay here. We're gonna, you're going to have to find someplace else to meet. Well, how do you get a place for all these people to meet in North Edmond back in 2000? There's nothing out here, friends. I mean, Walmart wasn't even hardly around. Um, I mean, nothing north of Danforth. There was nothing out here except for Shine Middle School. And I remember thinking uh, in this season, you know, how do we find a place to seat 100, 200 people? Um, how do you do it? And fortunately, Cheyenne Middle School was in the process of being built. It wasn't even finished. 7th um, and 8th grade was there, but 6th grade um, was still being built out. And I remember praying every day, like, Lord, we need a place to meet. Like, what are we going to do? You can't really have a church with, where you don't meet anywhere. And um, every day I would pray for about almost nine months. Uh, the Lord said, no, not today, just wait. Just wait. And I felt like we should be at Cheyenne, but I didn't know anybody there. And so finally, uh, we knew that we were going to get kicked out at the end of school at May. They were going to begin the remodel. Um, and we got to about spring break. So we had about, you know, maybe less than 10 weeks away, six weeks maybe. And I remember driving to the post office to drop off some thank you notes that I'd written. And, um, and I just felt this nudge of the Holy Spirit said, turn in. It was about 4 o'clock. And so I, I turned into Cheyenne Middle School, and lights are off. And, but the door was open, so I, I went in, and I kind of looked around, and I was like, hmm, it's interesting. I thought, well, maybe I, just, maybe I misheard. And I turned around to go back to uh, the car, and I, I heard this voice, Mark, Mark Foster, is that you? And it was a friend of mine from college who had just moved uh, to Edmond about two weeks earlier and started to work at that school. She'd gone through a hard time in her uh, life in another state and came back home. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, well, what do you need? And I said, well, um, I'm starting a church. We're at Edmond North, but that's not going to work anymore. We've got to find a place. And I can't find any place because we're supposed to be north of Edmond Road, west of the Broadway, um, but not to Portland and not north of Waterloo. So somewhere in this area. And she said, well, uh, let me see if I can find Dr. Bendick for you. And we looked around. She wasn't there. And I thought, well, okay. And so we began to walk out side by side. She said, it was really nice seeing you again. It was a great seeing you. So we, we start to walk off. And here comes Debbie Bendick, Dr. Bendick, principal at the time. And she said, hey, you know, who's your friend? She said, well, this is Mark. She said, any friend of yours, friend of mine? How can I help you? I said, well, we really need a place to worship. She said, well, if you'll pray for me. Here's the deal. And she gave me a little contract, signed it up. And the great thing, you need to know this about how great Dr. Bendick is. The, the school that you rent doesn't get the money. It goes to the district. So they don't have any reason to do it for their own self. 
It just goes to the greater good of the whole. So they, they do the sacrifice, but it blesses the larger group. Does this make sense? And from the time the Lord said go to the time I had a contract in my hand was about 20 minutes. But he told me no for about nine months. But the thing is, imagine, had I pushed and said, well, I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to go. And I don't know what would happen to us. But that's our story. Right? So we, we can't push these things. In humility, we don't push and we don't pretend. We don't pretend that we're better than we are or worse than we are. This is who we are. This is what, what we're doing. So in humility, in our relationships, we don't push, we don't pretend, and we don't presume. We don't presume to know what's going on with our child. We need to ask them or our spouse or someone else. And this is a good way to be in relationship with anybody, not to push, not to pretend, not to presume. And if we can live these out, the world's going to be a better place. Amen? Just, just will be. You'll have more friends than you know what to do with if you just love them and don't push them. Right? So in Romans 12, and Paul's writing to the church together about how to love one another, he says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert, servants of the master. Cheerfully expect it. Don't quit, friends. Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. Pray all the harder. And then Paul changes gears. And this is important so that you know the shift. In the first part of Romans 12, he's talking about the community together, how we love each other. And then, in the second part, he shifts to people who are hostile to them, people outside their community of faith. And he says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But I need to be really clear about this since we're talking relationships. That's not about evil in your own home. Make sense? This is about people outside. So if you're really experiencing um, people that mean you harm, you need to protect and, and call the police and step out. So this, this is about other people who would do you harm from the outside. The previous part of 12 is about relationship together. You see the difference? It's important that we make that distinction because some people have used this to stay in really terrible relationships and that is not what we're saying. Right? You need to be people who are wise, not fools, and certainly not evil. We're going to talk about that next week, how to love difficult people. But that's not what this is about. This is about how you live as a witness to the larger world. So what Paul does say, say about our family systems is this. We need to submit to one another. And that submission is, say it with me, mutual. And this was radical at the time. He says this in Ephesians, Paul does. Be subject to one another, right? That's the important part. Out of reverence for Christ. Because in that day, it was well known that whoever was weaker had to submit to the more powerful and this was a way that you stayed alive. Kids to parents in that culture, wives to husbands at the time. Because if a parent didn't like what a child did, they could just put them outside to die. And if a husband didn't like one of his 20 wives, he could just put them out to die. And so Paul says, well, you know, let's be really careful about what we do in that time. Again, you can't throw that to today and make it make sense. So Paul says one another, which was absolutely unheard of. Um, at their time. And then Jesus says this. Sometimes, friends, you know what will really, really help your relationship? A nap. Really, just rest. I mean, just, just, just take a nap. Right? Jesus says in Mark 6, come away to a deserted, deserted place by yourselves and rest. Just rest. For many were coming and going. They didn't have any leisure. They couldn't have time to eat. Have you all been there where you didn't even have time to eat? You know, like driving in the car? So, the Bible does not say this, but I believe this, and I want to share it with you because I think you can remember it. The grass is always greener where? Where you water it. 
right? Have you ever driven through an area in the summer and it's like dead, 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 and then it's green? You're like, oh, yeah, they're watering that, right? It's where you invest, and that's true in your relationships. So this is, uh, very quickly, this is some things that Chantel and I have learned in 28 years of marriage. Uh, This is something that we've struggled with uh, for a while. For those of you in public service, for those of you in, in helping jobs, you know that, I mean, you, I feel like Frozone sometimes, you know, hey, hey, you got to put some boundaries around things, right? So prioritize the relationship. Say that with me. Prioritize the relationship. And, and, and we're fortunate. Our boys are in college now, uh, but I've said this all along. Those who've been with me forever, you know this. Children come third. Third. God, each other, Third. That's where most of our families are getting in trouble these days because you're worn slick going to soccer and baseball and batting practice and horse riding and everything else. And then what do you know, you, like your spouse wants to have a conversation and you're like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I'm done, right? Kids need to be in their proper place because our hope is that they're going to leave. <laughs> and you're going to be stuck with each other. You might want to know each other, Right? So the other thing is, uh, I want to say this. No one has a marriage problem. No one. We have people problems that we bring into the marriage that we could manage individually that are out of hand when we try to cover them up with somebody else. Right? You don't have a marriage problem. You have a personal problem that you're bringing into the marriage. And so because that's true... And, and we can talk about this later. Please see me about this. But, you know, if, if you're carrying 80 grand in debt and college debt, it's fine for you to figure that out. But when you marry someone else, now that's a problem. You think of it as a marriage problem. It's not. It's a debt problem that you brought into the marriage. Right? So here's the thing. Individual counseling can be huge and make a big difference. Because as you get better, your other spouse gets better, the relationship gets better. Right? And then thirdly, plan your rest. Plan difficult conversations and plan your finances. We all have to have hard conversations from time to time. But those of you in business, you don't, if you have a client, you've got a million-dollar deal on the table, you don't wing it. You don't get to it when you get to it. You plan for it. You prepare for it. You know you're praying about that, aren't you? And if your relationship is as important as your work, then you're going to have to plan around these things. So uh, in case this is news to you, Valentine's is Thursday. So I want to invite you, whatever kind of relationship you have, to celebrate someone other than yourself on Thursday. Say, hey, this is a day of love. God loves you. I love you. Bless somebody. Now, the next two things may not make sense to you, so I've got to give you a tiny bit of context and we'll be finished up. And that is this. We did a survey. I want to thank Jenny Herzberger for her help with this. 76 males of our church and 147 females um, took part of the survey. Uh, And we're going to talk more about this in the next two weeks, some things we found out. I want to say, first of all, you did great. 
14 of the 20 questions were in the A range. 90 plus percent range. People were doing great, and I want to celebrate that. But the next two things I want to talk to you about are, are really important because we found this. There's really only one question that was very different than all the rest. And that was the question, we touch each other a lot. We know that relationships where um, there's loving physical touch um, makes it better. And here's the thing. The guys in our survey, I mean, they're, like we're 93, 95, 98, and all these other categories. When it came to this, only 72% said, yeah, we touch each other a lot. That's a really low number compared to everything else. And then what really surprised me were that the females were at 62%. And so, you know, as a husband, I'm like, sweet. I get to touch my wife more. This is good. But I wonder, and this, this actually declined. We did this same survey in 2013, and these numbers are actually going down. And I wonder if it's not about our smartphones, about just being distracted. So I want you to think about that. So because this is true about our community, right, as of last week, um, there are two things that are going to help you with this if you're married. Um, the first is to have a six-second kiss every day. Six seconds. Come here, Shawnee. All right. All right. So we're going to count this down. Ready? Go. It's longer than you think, right? Right? That's good. Okay, so that's good. Right? It's, law, it's, it's different than a peck out the door, right? See ya. Right? And, and so part of that is this. Whoop. Um, you need a five-to-one ratio of positive to negative react interactions with the people if you want to stay in a relationship. It's not one-to-one. It's not even two-to-one. It's five-to-one. So think about that. Can you think of five nice things you've done for your spouse or significant other since the last time you really stepped in it? Um, the other thing is, um, and um, I'll just leave this here. If you are married, be intimate with your spouse. Ten days in a row. My favorite story about this is a, a number of years ago I did this, and um, our children's director at the time, she couldn't be in services, so her husband told, him it, told her it was for a whole month. <laughs> it's awesome. But anyway, for the folks that have actually done this 10 days in a row, they're very happy on, on the back end of that. They feel very connected. So I recommend these things to you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me perfectly. Help me to look to you to complete me, to make me whole. Help me to love like you love. Help me love others, forgive others, and serve others in your strength and grace. Help me especially with those closest to me. Let me bless them this week. Amen. And now with confidence of the children of God, let's continue to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.